Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. If I were to say to you, what are you? You might answer, well, I'm a man or woman, or I'm an American or German or Italian. You might even say, I'm rich or I'm poor. But what if I asked, are you an Israelite? How would you answer? Today, Dr. Jennings joins us via Skype to define what being an Israelite means and why we should care. Dr. Jennings, the time is yours. Thank you, Charles. And during a recent Christmas holiday, I was listening to one of the songs, The First Noel, and in the song, the phrase, born is the king of Israel. And I'm sure we've all heard that, but it made me think, the king of Israel, was he the king of only the people who were genetically descended from Abraham? Or is there an implication in the song that maybe the Bible is teaching that to be an Israelite is something bigger, deeper, broader? And then I got to my Bible and I started looking, and, and uh, Romans popped into my mind, Romans 2, 28. A man is not a Jew if he is one outward only, nor a circumcision merely outward or physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, yeah. by the spirit, not by the written code. So there's this idea that being a member of Israel, God's kingdom, God's people, God's chosen, is not determined by genetics, but by the character that one possesses, the heart. And I remember the promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, and you can read those in Genesis 50 and in Exodus and all those places, that there were promises specifically to them. But when you read in Genesis 17, God speaking uh, to Abraham says, no longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many, many nations. nations. Yes, yes, many nations. Yeah, so there's this idea, something there, and I got to thinking, okay, let's back up to the really beginning Genesis account. How many different races of intelligent beings did God make on planet Earth? Okay, he made one, one. Adam and Eve. And all human beings, you follow the genealogies recorded in Scripture, trace their life back to Adam and Eve. And so what I think a lot of people have forgotten is that all humans descend from the same couple, have the same sin condition or the same problem of sin, if you want to call it that way, need the same solution. And in Genesis 3, after Adam sinned, the solution was promised as the, the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head. And so the story of the scripture starts out right after the fall of mankind, a Messiah is coming. That's the message. A Messiah is coming, not to save the children of Abraham exclusively, but to save all human beings who will allow it, to save the species human. The focus narrows a little bit shortly into the story. We narrow down and realize, hey, you know what? All branches of the human family are not going to be the branch through which the Messiah comes. God identifies one branch of the human family, and that branch of the human family is Abraham's branch. But it's not just Abraham's. It's Abraham's and Isaac's branch. It's not just Abraham and Isaac. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's branch of the family. And it even gets further down through the line of David later on. So God continues to narrow and tell us where to look, where to look in the branching human network of people, where the Messiah is going to come. And that is the key and the focus of Scripture. Why does the Bible say over and again, though, that the uh, children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Jesus said that they will eat at the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you remember the, the stories there, that they will come and sup together at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so there's this recurrent theme, and I think because they represent something. Abraham is known as a man of faith. 
and for those of us who are born in sin and conceived in iniquity, to come back into the family of God, we have to have faith, the faith of Abraham. And when we have the faith of Abraham, then Isaac was the miraculous promised child, and he stands as the, the representative of the promised seed to come later. And so those who have the faith of Abraham have faith in the promised one that was to come, which is Jesus. And those who have the faith of Abraham in the promised one, Jesus, then like Jacob, who was a deceiver, wrestle in relationship with God, wrestle against their own fears and insecurities, and overcome, and thus their name is changed from Jacob to Israel, one who with God overcomes. And thus we become a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israelite, when we have the faith of Jacob in our Messiah, and with God's strength, wrestle to overcome the fear and insecurities and selfishness in our own hearts. Oh, that is so inclusive if we allow it to be. And how does that change us, Dr. Jennings, when we know that, when we internalize what you just said? What should happen in our psyche? What happens is that our natural state is driven by fear yes. and self-protection. Yes. When we come into the knowledge of God, we realize that he's trustworthy, that Christ has come and perfected what we could never perfect. Okay, Once he was made perfect, he became a source of salvation for all who obey him, Hebrews 5, 8, 9. And then in our trust relationship, we receive a new heart and right spirit. Peter puts it this way. We become partakers of the divine nature. Paul describes it this way. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. We actually get new desires, new motives. Our hard heart becomes soft. Our selfish heart becomes loving. Our deceitful heart becomes honest. We actually are transformed to become like Christ in how we live and treat other people. There is no entry into God's family while we are loyal to Satan's kingdom. If we stay loyal to the principles of selfishness, if our hearts are aligned with deceitfulness, if we prefer exploitation, if we love grandiosity, if we stay self-absorbed, narcissistic, and egocentric, we can be religious, we can claim all types of legal blood payments to pay our legal debts, but if we don't have a new heart and right spirit, then we aren't part of God's kingdom. We're not a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you remember, Abraham's key thing was a man of faith, and it says, you know, the natural heart, of according to Romans, is enmity or distrusting of God. But Abraham trusted God. His heart went from a distrusting state to a state in which he trusted him. His heart changed, and that was his faith. And then he was recognized as having been set right, justified, or made righteous because he was put right with God. That's what righteousness is. So the person of faith moves in heart from distrust of God to trust of God, and in that trust, we receive Christ who renews and rebuilds us in righteousness, and we get new desires and motives. So we don't enter the kingdom of God through some legal declaration. That doesn't mean, though, that we have full maturation. That doesn't mean we have overcome every temptation or every struggle, but it means our hearts have moved away from me first to, God, I want to be that man. Please go. change there me. Oh, that okay? is beautiful. And so, so I, will, I will give you the uh, description in Revelation 12, verse 11, about those who are victorious. It said, these are they who do not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Think through what's being described. The natural inclination that we get from our earthly parents is survival of the fittest. If something threatens us, we run or we attack to protect ourselves. That's the drive that we have from sin. 
But the people who are saved do not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They do not seek to save their life. The one who seeks to save their life will lose it, but the one who gives their life freely will find it, Jesus says. In other words, the motives of the heart have been changed from survival to self-sacrifice, where we love God and others, and we would be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And even though they had no desire to die, they were not suicidal, they would not compromise for self-preservation. journey from our sinful selves to being the kind of person God wants us to be, that journey begins when we turn our back on the past, on the sins, on the devil, on, on what the devil wants to do to us. I'm unsavable, people say. I, I can't possibly be saved. I want to be saved, but I'm unsavable. Is that person on the journey yet, or is that person still stuck in sin? I have no idea. I don't know what their heart is. Uh, just making that statement could be somebody who is just struggling with temptations of insecurities of various kinds. It doesn't mean they're out of a relationship with God. To me, the fact that they're tormented by the question and doubt shows that, in fact, their consciences are sensitive and the Holy Spirit is working on them. The one who is calloused and hard-hearted and arrogant and full of self-righteousness and thinks they're in need of nothing, they're the ones that's hearts are so calloused, though, they're not sensitive to the movements of the Spirit of God. Oh, I like that. I like that. If we are struggling, if we are wanting to be more than we are, if we are trying to reconnect with God, we are on the right track. We may not be where we want to be yet, but at least we're on the journey. Am I right? Yeah. So back to the question. It really is a question. Do you have faith in God? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean some faith of an esoteric, like, oh, I know he exists faith, yeah. but a faith that is really, we should say, trust. Do you trust him? That's really the meaning. Yes. Do you trust God? And if you trust him, then you open your heart, and in your open heart, you receive an indwelling Holy Spirit who takes the victories of Christ and reproduces it in us. Thus, we become, we wrestle, we have the temptations that you have just articulated, I think, very nicely. But when those temptations of fears and insecurities and self-doubt comes, think of Jacob's night of wrestling with the angel, okay? We we wrestle, we stay connected with God, and we, we go to him in prayer, and we wrestle out those feelings in our relation with God and those insecurities and those doubts. And when we achieve a victory through his strength and his love, we are renamed an Israelite, one who with God overcomes. Okay, I'm going to finish the program with this question for you, Dr. Jennings. You say the name of the program today is Who is an Israelite? Who is an Israelite? Give me 60 seconds of who an Israelite is. Describe them to me. Those who are like Abraham in faith, they trust God. Those who have accepted Christ as their Savior and have been reborn to have the law written upon their hearts and minds so that they no longer are controlled by fear and selfishness. They may be tempted by fear and selfishness, but through the strength of the indwelling God, they choose to identify with God and live victorious over those temptations. Mm. 
Well, you know what? That should be the aim of every person listening to this program today. We want to get from where we are to where we should be. We want to be on that journey. We want to see God as our goal. And if we are thinking those thoughts, if we're saying those things, if we have that desire, I hear you saying that we are on the journey. Am I right? That's exactly right. That is evidence of the journey. And it is a process. And it's not the moment-to-moment behaviors. It's the general trend of the life. Are you every day growing and advancing and developing? Just like a child may stumble and fall as they're learning to walk. But every day as they develop, they become more competent and stumble and fall less. Give me 20 seconds on what to do with discouragement. When we stumble and fall, Dr. Jennings, how should we feel about ourselves and how should we feel about our journey? Well, you know, I think maybe we should encourage people to to come and listen to one of our upcoming shows on dealing with bad decisions and how when bad decisions happen, what's the way we handle those and process those and move forward? Because I think we can do a whole show on that. I think we could. And I also want to invite our listeners to comeandreason.com. If you want answers, listener, to what is rumbling around in your brain right now, if you want answers, you will probably find it at comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings has made many resources available there. His books are all listed there. And also his blog and his television programs, radio programs, they're all there waiting for you to to enjoy and to have your questions answered. Because you know what, listener, we're all on the journey. Every one of us, I hope we are all on the journey. And our eyes are on the prize of Jesus and being like him and being that Israelite that God wants us to be. It's all there outlined beautifully at comeandreason.com. Dr. Jennings, always appreciate your words of wisdom. Thank you so much. Always great, Charles. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together. Come and reason.